introducing this subject that we're going to go into next. Now, we move in the sermon from a topic that is somewhat difficult, some might say inscrutable, to interpret to a subject that is morally difficult to apply uh, in terms of marriage, family, the establishment, the maintenance, the promotion of a godly home. I think it can be said, easier said than done. Now, I will give you a personal anecdote in a moment, but I want to open in prayer, and then we'll get started, and we're going to move... um, we're going to move at whatever pace we need uh, to move. You have three pages of notes. I have them separately. You have a front back and then a third page. Uh, let me pray for God's blessing on our time. Lord, bless our time as we again endeavor to learn how we are to live in the world that you have made. Make us faithful in all things. That where there are things in our lives that out of out of alignment with your word, Lord, help us not to hide but to be exposed and transformed because you are patient, you are good, and like a heavenly father, a good father, you are the perfect father, you were patient with your children. You know, you remember our frame, you know that that we are dust. And so, Lord, continue to work in us, we pray in your name, amen. So, I want to tell you a story of two trips to Savannah. Um, In the summer of 2021, I was asked to fill the pulpit of Christ Church of the Low Country. It's a longer name. I can't always remember the whole name, but it's the OPC Church in Bluffton. And when I was asked to do that, I thought, ooh, I have an opportunity to get away with my bride. So we went to Savannah for a couple days leading up to it, and it was pure bliss. Um, We went this week to Savannah because Carl and I signed up for a ruck, and we took four of our children And it was good, but it wasn't pure bliss. If anything, that outlines the potential challenges of raising or establishing a godly home. It takes something. It costs you something. And in order to commit to the thing that is a godly marriage, I do think it's very important to have an understanding of its origin, of its beauty and its potential, that even when it is difficult, there is something glorious in it. Even when we make mistakes, which I do and did in Savannah, and I was trying to deal with issues that were creeping up. Like, why can't you just be compliant? Why can't you go eat the place I want to go eat? Because... I'm the one paying after all, right? Those types of things. How do we have an enduring perspective that keeps us hopeful? Now, I want to do a book recommendation. Um, This is a book written by Herman Bovink, which you think, what kind of family book can possibly Herman, a guy named Herman. uh, Herman Bovink was a Dutch Reformed scholar, um, and his... Magnum Opus is a four-volume set called Reformed Dogmatics, and it is perhaps one of the greatest systematic theologies you can buy. Um, it is four volumes, so you know we're talking five, 6,000 pages. I don't expect you to go buy that and read it, 
But the Dutch Reformed theologians and pastors are some of the best when it comes to taking the Trinity as a theological concept and weaving it into all of life. In fact, there's even a a term for this, and it's called the organic Trinity. How we take God's character and how we see it in all that God has made, especially in the family. And so throughout some of these lectures, you're going to hear a lot of this come out. This is, I think, one of the best books on the family. And I would say that because, A, it is not modern. Right? Oftentimes, modern approaches to practical theology are limited by practical modern pitfalls. Uh, And this, though, is not modern. It was written originally, I believe, in 1912. There is a series of uh, lessons that he writes on the, the, the sort of sinful failures and enemies of the family, and he is writing at the onset of the doctrine of evolution. And what he writes in that chapter explains exactly what is happening right now. With the idea of man remaking himself apart from God's image, it destroys the family. And what we're seeing today is the fruit of the church giving up proper biblical doctrine related not only to the family, but who the husband and father is, who the wife and mother is, and what children are to be. So, when you remove God from the origin and the foundation of marriage, and the family as the foundation of all human society, you end up with utter and complete chaos, an identityless people. Okay, let's move through this outline. Let's look at the origin of marriage. The Trian Lord. In fact, um, the first thing we see from Scripture as it relates to a doctrine of God and man is in the beginning God created. That phrase is to be taken as a whole. Not only in the beginning God, as it speaks to his eternality, his existing before time and space, what he made, but that God is a creator God. And the reason that he is a creator God is because he is a triune Lord. He is three and one. So we are first, as it relates to our understanding of mankind, our existence and calling, we are not Unitarian. Muslims are Unitarian. Now, they're not the Charlotte household of prayer for all people kind of Unitarians, you know what I mean? Like people that fit right into Asheville. Right, those kinds of people that really spend a lot of time dialing their espresso machines, those kinds of Unitarians, which I have no problem with. I love good espresso, but you know what I mean. It's kind of the religion de jour in America. It's spirituality with none of the theological theological conviction. But every other religion is a religion that violates the three-in-oneness of God and therefore gets the whole, not only of the whole, all of creation wrong, but in particular, human relationships wrong. And at the heart of all human relationships is a man and a woman. That's how we all got here. Everybody's got a mama. Everybody's got a daddy. And in fact, there was no child born to parents in this world prior to the fall. And the woman, Isha, in Hebrew, 
is not named Eve until God gives her a son, and it's her husband that names her that, according to the promise. Eve means, you know, mother of all living. And so the instructions that God gives to the family are not instructions that only make sense in a pre-fallen world. They are given to us in a world that is broken by sin. So, as it relates to the Trinity, there's a quote here, Gregory of Nazianzus, he's one of the Cappadocian fathers. There's two Gregories and a Basil. You can look them up later. There's actually a number of them, but those three were the, the most popular. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as a whole. And my eyes are filled and the greater part of what I am thinking of escapes me. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch. And I cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. Now, the reason I think this is important as it relates to the identity and the nature and the beauty and the glory of each of the persons that make up the, make up the family is that though there is in the economy the carrying out of authority in the family, husband, wife, child, as it relates to their value, the worth of their being, their identity, they are one each made after the image and likeness of God. And it is not until there is a family that we have the fullness of the reflection of the image of God. Just as the Father, the first person of the Godhead, is not God alone, but God with the other two persons, so to you and I, it cannot be said that Joby, in his singular person nature is the divine or the fullness of the expression of the image of God. Do you follow me? Is that a little weird philosophical? The glory of the triune Lord, as I write, must infect our thoughts and permeate our own sense of origin, being, purpose, and calling. And there is no better evidence of the three-person God in our hearts than the relationship of men. Maybe I should rephrase that. The greatest evidence of it is that it is biblically taught. The way we experience it is woven into the fabric of the society of men. Why do you think Satan then wishes to disrupt the family? Because when he does so, not only does he destroy one family or a nation or a church, but he disrupts and he distorts our very understanding of God. You'll hear this all the time. I had a horrible father, right? Someone says this. I don't like the idea of God as father. Where does a child first learn to think of God as father? Well, from whom? Their earthly fathers. Or the tenderness and submission of our Redeemer in the righteousness of their mother. So... The triune Lord sits as the fountainhead of all marriages and not only as fountainhead, but he is the end to which all of our marriages are to attribute glory and honor and praise. We are from them, excuse me, 
from him, the persons, one God, and for him. Following? And not only the family, but all creation resounds with this personality and fellowship. Now, Bavink here I will read as it relates particularly to the family. The authority of the father, the love of the mother, and the obedience of the child. Uh Uh-oh, already he's offending the egalitarians. I love this. He didn't even know he was offending them. (laughs) And they're already aggrieved. The father, the mother, the obedience of the child form in their unity the threefold cord that binds together and sustains all relationships within human society. Within the psychological life of every integrated personality, this triple cord forms the motif and melody. No man is complete without some feminine qualities. No woman is complete without some masculine qualities. And to both man and woman, the child is held up as an example, right? Let the little children come to me. These three characteristics and gifts are always needed in every society and in every civilization, in the church and in the state. Authority, love, and obedience are the pillars of all human society. This is what you get when you read good theologians, not just science, but this is artistry. This is poetry. He's speaking of the the complementary roles, not only that men and women play, right, this whole complementarian idea, but that children play. When I look at my children, even in their being disciplined by me, it teaches me what? Humility under the disciplining hand of God. There are things that I need to be disciplined for by my heavenly Father. Lord, teach me to be humble, even as I expect the same of my child. Or when I hear my daughter say of, to her classmate, I heard about this um, when they were talking about, she said, um, in my church, we have a lady pastor. And my daughter says, there's no such thing as a lady pastor. <laughs> I'm like, yes! I didn't actually sit my child down and express to her um, the dangers of egalitarianism worked, writ large in the church She just knows what the Bible says about that because I've stated it positively. And out of the mouth of babes and infants, right? So I have things to learn from my I have things to learn from my wife. I've learned more from my wife in 14, almost 15 years of marriage than of course I've learned from anyone else. This is why Paul makes it very clear when you're choosing officers for the church that their wives aren't crazy or out of alignment with the will of God. Because whether you like it or not, that officer, his wife, has his ear. And oftentimes, the person he listens to most is, guess what? The person he has to lay down beside every night. He has to be at peace with her. Now, he can't be spineless he needs to also be a uh, he needs to be the the head of that household but regardless he's learning and so and so the woman is learning things from her husband he she is looking to him for guidance and help what we might call servant rulership but the way that bobbing expresses it is everyone within the home needs the other to be complete there are things that you miss out on when you do not have the young in your life to teach you what God uses the young to teach you. 
And not only that, but the family is the center of everything. It is the foundation for all other public memberships. Right? Everything else you do, you're leaving your home and you're doing it wearing the name of your father and mother, your surname. Which is why the surname is so important. Not hyphenated, not not taken, but everyone shares one name, like it or not. Sometimes parents are like, I don't know if I want that, my kid to wear that name. <laughs> not right now. Sometimes kids are like, I don't, I don't want to be known by that name. But love it or hate it, we bear the image of God. We have the imprint of his nature stamped upon us. And all creation resounds with that. It's inescapable. And the proof of its inescapability is that the family is always the target of the enemy of the church. Always, 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 always. Satan knows that better more than a lot of Christians actually know it. And we need to be wise to it. And we need to fight him where the battle wages strongest. In fact, I would argue this. As we were preparing for this, I sensed temptation and failure these past few weeks as it relates to my role as a father and fit like oh i feel the weight of the enemy attacking and undermining my own faithfulness as a father and husband i felt it you know why because that's what satan wants to disrupt the fountainhead of moral formation all right it's also a divine gift and when i say divine gift Marriage is, from the beginning, deeply personal and individual. God gives a woman to a man. And it is this that is a pattern of the father giving to his son a bride. Now, what bride did the father give to the second person of the Godhead? The church. Which is why Paul uses marriage in the book of Ephesians as a picture of Christ's love for the church. All of human history is a father giving a son to his son, a bride. So first, God made man. The first human being, furthermore, was created immediately as a man, neither neuter nor androgynous, but with a specific sex, not gender, but sex, man. And then Bavink writes, so the woman is the answer to the question that flowed from the man's heart and across his lips. She is the answer to his prayer, the gift God so richly and lovingly bestowed upon him. How did Adam learn what he needed? God did not give it to him at first. Right? He had to wait. And he was learning under the instructive hand of God by the Lord waiting to give to him ish, man, isha, masculine, feminine, man, woman, He waited until the man saw that there was no one fit to be a helper in the task of taking dominion, certainly, certainly being fruitful and multiplying, right? So recently you have this female singer named Miley Cyrus who recently got a divorce and she's published this new song, How She Doesn't Need a Man to Buy Her Flowers. This song is outlawed in my house to sing or hum at all. (laughs) Who said that? Kevin. She can get from herself the things that she would otherwise get in a marriage. Well, you can write that song, but it doesn't make it true. Because what is she talking about? 
things for herself. She's not talking about fruitfulness. And so as Satan has come in and corrupted, and we will talk about the redeeming function of marriage next week. But for now, as it relates to marriage, marriage is this glorious gift that is a reflection of God's own interpersonal relationship. Now, what is it for? Well, marriage is first for companionship. Look at the order. When God gave the woman to Adam, the man, he said, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. All intimacy, all fulfillment of purpose, all satisfaction begins first with the acknowledgement that this is the one whom God has given to me as a blessed partner in dominion, fruitfulness, and filling to accomplish the task that he has given me to do. It's companionship. It is not good for man to be alone. God made Adam with a yearning in his soul for companionship that he learned could not be fulfilled by any other creature in all of creation save woman. I mean, what a moment. I mean, I remember the first time it came into my mind that this woman is the woman that I want to start a family with. It wasn't, well, I guess this is it. It was, when can I start? Right? That's always the question. When can I start? Now, the answer to that question is, once you get married. Or as one man said to a woman as he was seeking to make a physical advance, when is this going to happen? Or what way, what is the way to your marriage bed? Or what is the way to your bed? And she goes, through the chapel, sir. Right? That's the means that the covenant of marriage stands as the, the beginning, the middle, and the end of all God's purposes for the family on earth. It starts with a marriage. Marriage is the kicking off point for all of history. And in that moment, God made the church. Right? Woman was created out of the sight of man, and when they came together and they formed one membership, you have the family and the church and the state in one unit. And so the family, the church, and the state should all be familial in their expression. And the characteristics of what make the family a family should also exist within the family, the church, and the state, such that we call church fathers fathers. And our politicians, we should call them what? Our legislative fathers. Fathers in the state. Those who are like gentle fathers teaching us how to live. We don't have that because we have moved away. So marriage is for companionship. It's not a job for robots. It is a job for families. And when you have a family that is functioning as God designed, if it is setting the pattern and trajectory for all of life, what you end up with is something far more blessed than it is if it is established or grounded upon something other than the family. Now, one of the testimonies of this is found in the economist John Maynard Keynes. John Maynard Keynes hated his father and was an, an, a proponent of and a deviant practice of homosexuality. All homosexuality is deviant. But he, pr he promoted it. And as someone who hated the family, 
What he did is he moved the loc- that the sort of foundational unit, the Adam Smith wealth of nations, the family is the is the the most fundamental element of economy. John Maynard Keynes says it's not the family, it's what? It's the state. That's how he ended up with the welfare state. You will have a father. And that father isn't going to be your human father you despise. It's going to be the state. It's going to be the government. But the government isn't just father. It becomes father, mother, tyrant. Because it wasn't meant to be that. You are first and foremost a member of a family. This companionship then is meant to embed itself and impress everything we do. Not only that, marriage is for holiness, joy, and sanctification. Now, as it relates to holiness, prior to the fall, Eve's job, or the woman, was to help Adam remain faithful, true, and sustain what was needed to fulfill the creation mandate. And the way in which that was to happen was Adam was called to expand the boundaries of the garden, right? I'm going to I'm going to build an add-on to the house. My job is to lay the foundation, to put up the studs, to put in the rock, all of this stuff. And then my wife comes in and she puts in the couch and the throw pillows and the art and she makes it beautiful. Sweetheart, what color? What color should we paint the walls? Now I know that there are people that kind of Break the rules, as it were, right? We have women who like to swing a hammer. My point is to say, is not to say um, that there are certain things that only men can enjoy, but as it relates to the creation mandate, God gave to Adam the responsibility to expand the garden, and God gave to the woman that which only she could do, which is fill the garden with her husband's help, of course, right? Why we put women now on the front lines is a complete inversion of what God has intended for men. Again, it's a complete disruption of God's order. When I say on the front lines, I actually mean on the front lines. In fact, if there is an expression of evil influence in culture... It is that most of our culture warriors now in the church and outside are all women, almost all of them. Why? Because men can be lazy as it relates to the mandate to go fight the wolves, the monsters, the giants that live outside the walls of the covenant fellowship of the saints and of the family. Now, the husband is to be concerned with the holiness of his wife, and the same in turn, to do the mission. Now, after the fall, this takes oftentimes what can be seen as a negative. There are times where husbands and wives have to actually say, sweetheart, that's not good. Don't do that. Here's what the Bible says. You're in error. (laughs) That's not fun, especially when it is done poorly, right? Where sin hits men is they can become tyrant-like. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way they're going to do it. And they become physical in their expression of their tyranny. Oftentimes, women who are endeavoring to do something good become subversive 
and are not tyrannical like men, but undermine in a more, well, not quite so obtuse, but subversive way. Children, well, you're not clever at all. You just disobey. And I don't mean you're stupid. I just mean you haven't become sophisticated enough because of time. And so holiness is a mission. Not only that, but joy. When things are functioning well in the home, is there anything more blessed? Like There's a reason why guys like Norman Rockwell painted pictures of families having a good time together. Now we know, right, that that is not, that picture is not the way it really is. It lacks three-dimensional depth, right? Behind every great meal that is prepared is a mom going, would you get out of the kitchen? Sweetheart, stop tasting the food before I serve it. You know what I mean? Kids, would you just stop talking? Could you get your feet off the table? Or at least stop picking your nose? You know what I mean? But for a slice, right? Like if you take a thousand pictures at the table, one of them is going to potentially look like the Norman Rockwell painting. All 999 of the others is going to look at, what are you doing? But even in those moments of conflict, the joy is this is the mechanism that God has designed for husbands to stop being deadbeats, for wives to stop being catty gossips, and for children to just obey and to see that as they respond to their parents, so they will respond to God. It is, as my dad called it, the laboratory of human sanctification. And there's going to be a lot of explosions. But so long as they are constrained in the home, we learn things and satisfaction. Right, the satisfaction that comes in a marital relationship on every level, the satisfaction that comes for parents, not only when their kids maybe recite something and quote it or do some great physical feat on the field, or they do the thing you've been asking them to do for so long without having to be asked. And sometimes you'll glimpse those moments. Not too long ago, uh, one of our kids was having a, a crisis going to bed, struggling, just dwelling on worry. And one of the other kids said, it's okay. Remember, God is in control. Where were you yesterday? What's it, what's it? And then I, my wife goes, well, the same can be said of you, sweetheart. There are those moments where the things you have endeavored to show them show up. That's what's happening in the family. And you know who doesn't really care about all of that? It's the same people when you pull out the family photos that just don't care. I'm like, okay, I've seen one picture. Great. I know that you went somewhere. That's awesome. But who likes the family photos? The family. Who looks at the wedding photos that I was in? Well, I do, right? I'm like, boy, I look so young. Man. But my kids, especially my daughter, why? Because my wife is beautiful in her white dress. And what does my daughter look at? One day, when's this going to happen with me? You know who doesn't really care? All the people we have over. Right? The family is that seat of intimacy. Not only that, but multiplication. Upon this fellowship of love, then, God has bestowed his blessing in a special way. He is the creator of man and of woman, the inaugurator of marriage, and the sanctifier of matrimony. 
Each child born is the fruit of fellowship, and as such is also the fruit of divine blessing. The two-in-oneness of husband and wife expands with a child into a three-in-oneness. Father, mother, and child are one soul, one flesh, expanding and unfolding the one image of God. United within the threefold diversity and diverse within harmonic unity. It is the seedbed for the next generation. You can see the pattern for satanic progeny. And what is it? Babies that are devised. It's, it's like yellow number five. Right? What is that? It's not color. It's chemical. You know, when you hand your kid the candy, there's a reason they act like heathens after they've had the five food colorings. It's because your body was not made to ingest the thing that was cooked up in the laboratory. In the same way that God did not devise that two men could have a child together by stealing the child of a woman born to her. So that's what we're seeing. And it is becoming more and more in vogue. Boutique babies. Right now in Iceland, and it's not much better in America, if there is a fetus that shows any markers for Down syndrome, that child is systematically put to death in the womb. And this is what they say. We are going to stamp out genetic disorders. And I'm like, you can start with yourself. Thank you very much. I wouldn't say that to them. I would say it here and maybe we'll leave that part out when it gets published. Not only have you ever met someone with Down syndrome, it's, they're just the, the best people to talk to. They're, un, it's, it, they're unhindered by many of the cares and concerns that I am often hindered by. But are they not made by God? Are they not creations that are the product of God's sovereign hand? It, it, we have lost a sense of what people are for because we have first and foremost lost an understanding of what marriage is for. That's where it begins. Now, the way in which we defend that is from Scripture, which is why guys like Matt Walsh and others who defend and they come out with documentaries like, what is a woman for? And he argues about tradition and this is just the way it is. Well, it's not just the way it is. It is just that way. But why is that way? And what he never does is he opens his Bible and says, this is what God had said. That really irks me because he has an opportunity because he's bold. I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's very bold, but he's not bold enough to stand upon the word of God as the authority for why we live the way we live. Now, all of this comes from Scripture. It's very fundamental. Where does marriage then take us? It's from God. Marriage is for holiness. It's for multiplication. It's for satisfaction. It's for companionship. Marriage is the gift that God has given to men to give them a taste of what it is like to be God within himself. As close as we can get as creatures. So where does marriage take us? Well, it takes us to a world filled with worshipers. Without sin, what Adam and Eve would have done was populate the world with people that would have covered over all the world who are God-fearing. 
Now, God did not abandon that, right? The creation mandate was not abandoned. Otherwise, you are wasting your time by getting married and having children. It is disobedience to the Great Commission. This kind of radical two-kingdom theology is at its very heart, I would argue, almost utilitarian to the point that it resembles something more of um, the survival of the fittest because it abandons the creation mandate. If God's great design is growth only by converts, then no one should get married and have children. But if God's design also includes having covenant children and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then the Great Commission is fulfilled not just by going out to the highways and hedges and seeking the nations, but while we're doing that, saying to people, fill the world with worshipers, with the equipment that I've given you to do that very thing. And the way in which we do that is that fathers and mothers, or men and women, purpose not only to get married as a high calling, though not all are called to celibacy. In fact, few are. Few are. Most of us rightly should want to and get married. Now, we need to learn the criteria of what a godly husband and a godly wife is. Primarily not so you can have a checklist every time you see a boy or a girl, so that you can be equipped to be godly. Because what God will do is you're pursuing holiness is he will, because he's sovereign, bring someone into your life and you'll just start walking and going, hey, let's do this thing together. Let's walk together. But the goal then, as Chocolate Knots Knox, he's a guy that does this cross-politics show, is if you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. How? What's the best place to meet your spouse? Sure. <laughs> the place where you want your spouse and you to spend the bulk of your time together with the covenant saints. And it may not be at the church where you worship, right? But a God-fearer. Multiplication isn't just the birds and the bees. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 speaks of this. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. There are some marriages that have to use the wisdom they have as a couple on children that aren't even their own sometimes, right? When we come into a covenant family together, when you're keeping nursery, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton, it takes a village, like we're going to take your children and give them to the state. But when your children are here, one of the things I love most is getting to stand back there and the kids come up to me and they're, we're talking. And what I am endeavoring to do is not interrupt the flow of what their parents are doing, but to strengthen the hands of what their parents are trying to do, either in the pulpit or back there, Right? Sometimes that means a little bit of covenant community correction, right? You need to stop that. I don't think your parents would like that. There's a place for that. Why? Because we want our children here to move as seamlessly as possible to having to wipe their diapers to having to wipe my diapers. 
You know what I mean? I want them to be here when I am too old to be, to be, when I'm checked out. You know what I mean? One generation shall declare it to another. That, that is what ends up happening. You just go back to the place you came from. Those of you who've ever cared, like done geriatric care, you know that. And it's not ironic that our church despises the aged. It's because we also despise children. In fact, the great example that we despise our children, I hate to say it, is children's church. I'm not saying it's equivalent to the kids' table. Because at least at the kids' table, they're eating the same food. They're just... The other table's too small. With children's church, they're not even eating the same food. It is, in fact, a rejection. And it is an expression of wicked influence within the church. Not only that, but marriage takes us to a world filled with beauty and tenderness. Where do men learn how to treat women? Rightly. When their dad says to them, if I hear you talk back to mom one more time, and if you disrespect her, I'm going to wear you out. Treat your sisters with, don't touch your sister. Now, I say, your sister can hit you, but don't you ever raise, now she shouldn't be hitting her brother, but we do not raise our hand in violence to women. Now, let me just say this. Abortion is an expression of masculine violence against the feminine. And that the way it is often couched is women's liberation. It is not liberating. He said that it is a lie, not only for the women or the children, female daughters who would become women, but the majority of these abortions are not only being performed by male doctors, but we have men with power that should be our state fathers who are endorsing this behavior, where did they learn that? In a family where children are not important. But in a world where the family is central, not only as a, let me put it this way, if economy comes from family, then it is also for family. So what does an economy look like that is established for the family? An economy that defends generational wealth. And when I mean generational wealth, I don't mean silver spoon. What I mean is taking the money that belongs to parents that they would otherwise be giving to their children and the state saying, we know how to deal with this better than you do for your children. They don't. They don't. And it doesn't create a world of beauty. Like, think of the gifts that you could give to your children if it were not otherwise being stolen from you. A world filled with beauty and tenderness. The other day, or yesterday, my wife and I were doing this rug. And there was a guy walking at 10 a.m. down the street dressed in what can only be described as um, the village people attire. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, when they're singing YMCA, they all look so very happy. But as he was walking down the street smoking his cigarette, dressed in his torn jeans and leather hat, leather boots, leather vest, cut-off shirt, he could have been one of the village people. He looked so unhappy. 
The only time they're happy is when they're all caught up in the delusion of their happiness. But on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m., he looked very unhappy. Now, I don't mean I'm always happy. But what I am saying is that is the world that Satan wants for all men. It is a world where we sow our wild oats and in exchange for that liberty, we get nothing in return but sorrow and lung cancer. <laughs> so on and so on. It's the world of Wally, right? No one ever looks at anyone. And then lastly, we get a world as God intended. A world filled with families. So what will the new heavens and new earth look like? It will look like one big family. Now Christ says there will be no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. We will have something that is an even greater picture of the intimacy of the Godhead that we cannot even now imagine. But it will look like this. It will be more like it than more similar than dissimilar. All right. Any questions? We're a little late. Any questions? Anything you want to reflect on? Yes, sir.